Open your Bibles to John chapter 10, the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. If you don't have a traditional Bible but you'd like one, just raise your hand and one of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. You can also take your digital device and open up the version, or it's also called the Bible app and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded. If you're watching us live on our online campus at one of our many services at the Brown County Correctional Facility or at our Howard Swamico site. We love you. So glad that you guys are part of our family. And we love you in this corona. See, I didn't even know it was a season, corona. So give yourselves a hand for not having the virus and for being here. <laughs> uh, so the Honorable Judge Albie Sachs famously said, death is more universal than life. Everyone dies but not everyone lives. And so today, as Pastor Sonny said, we are starting a new series, as you saw on the screen. It's called, What If You Had One Month to Live? It really is from a book that I read years ago, almost by the same title, Just One Month to Live, by a pastor in Texas named Carrie Shook. And when I read it, it really kind of shook me. It kind of it kind of rocked me to the core of who I was, it made me think about some of the things that I was thinking, some of the things that I was saying, some of the things that I was doing. What was I doing with my time, my talent, with my treasure? And this is really more than just a series of messages. I think for you, if you really plug in for the next four weeks, it could become a movement for you. I think it's more than liturgy. It's a lifestyle. So for over the next four weeks, I'm really going to attempt to push you. And I'm going to challenge you to live the next 30 days as if they were your last. Not because you're going to die in a month, obviously, but because what I want for the next month is for you to learn how to really live. And so we're going to learn some things that are universal in principle, but unique in practice. And the principles aren't something that we made up. They're, they're straight from the book. They're, they're straight from the scriptures. They're principles that Jesus lived. They're, they're principles that he used in his own life, principles that are unique in practice, because if you discovered that you truly had one month to live, I'd be willing to bet that you'd do some very different things than you're currently doing. I know that I do some very different things than I'm currently doing, and those things are unique to each of us. The things that you do differently are different than the things that I do differently. Now, you may not know when the final 30 days of your life are going to be, but the truth is Jesus did. And so the question is, knowing that, how is it that he lived? Well, he lived the four principles that we're going to talk about in this series. So over the next four weeks, we're going to learn how to live passionately, how to learn humbly, how to love completely, and how is it that we can leave boldly. Today, we're going to talk about how to live passionately. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. Thank you for loving us back. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you, God, that in this day of indifference, you are not indifferent. God, in this day of disconnection, you are not disconnected. In this day of distance, you are not distant. God, you are a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so today, we pray that we would become less like us and more like you in Jesus' name, amen. The 10th verse of the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. It is one of the most famous scriptures in the whole book. It says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and to destroy. My, Jesus' purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And I love that image. I love those words. The, he is here to give us a rich 
and satisfying life. And of course, he's not talking about material riches. He's talking about living a passionate, fulfilling life. There's a big difference between having a full life and having a fulfilling life. Most of us live full lives. We've got stuff going on, don't we? We got kids to wake up, kids to feed, kids to make lunches for, kids to take school. You know, that's just the season. Uh, that we're in. We got kids that take, you got kids that take the soccer practice. So you got errands to run and jobs to go to and oil changes to get done and gas to put in your car and laundry to do and dinners to make. And like your lives are full. Your lives are full of stuff and full of stress, full of activities and full of anxieties. Our lives are full But the question is, are they fulfilling? I really like how the New International Version translates what Jesus says. He said it like this, I have come to give you life to the full. And what he was saying is, I want you to live a fulfilling, passionate life. So here's the first thing we need to do, is we need to find our passion. If we're gonna live fulfilling lives, we have to find what our passion is. Nothing great ever happens without passion. Passion is the driving force behind all great art and all great music, all great literature, all great architecture. Passion is what propels athletes to break records and drives scientists to find cures for diseases. Last week, Pastor Sonny and I watched a couple of documentaries. Of course, in our house, when you get to know Pastor Sonny, what you'll get to know is that we live our lives between documentaries, really. is that We watch a documentary, we talk about the documentary, we implement the documentary, watch a new documentary, we talk about that documentary, we implement that documentary, and then we start all over. What becomes challenging is when you, when, when you watch one documentary and then you implement it, and then you watch another documentary, and then it tells you that you shouldn't implement the first documentary, that you should implement something else. When you watch one documentary that tells you should only eat meat. And then you watch another documentary that tells you that meat is going to kill you. You have to really pray about which documentary you're supposed to live your life by. But we watched these two really interesting documentaries this past week. We, we watched one documentary about a group of guys who were trying to break the two-hour marathon. I go, oh, I've ran two marathons. I'm just trying to like survive. And so to think, like, how am I going to run this thing in two hours? And so they, they took Nike Athletic Company, took the three best marathon runners that they had on their roster, and they brought them to the centralized location in Oregon, and they did all of these health tests on them, and they took their blood, and they had them work as hard as they could, and they monitored their heart rate, and they had them monitor their oxygen intake and their oxygen output rate and all of these things. And these were, like, phenomenal Athletes. I mean, one of the, they, they all had won marathons at some point, like real marathons, not, not like a little marathon that there was four people in. Like one guy won the Boston Marathon, you know, which is a really big deal. And, uh, and one guy was the Olympic gold medalist in the marathon. I thought, he's pretty good. And so they brought them to the Nike headquarters and they gave them all the right equipment and all the right gear. They gave them these special shoes that Nike was, it was really a, a big commercial for Nike shoes. And so they, they took these three guys and they trained them, specifically gave them certain eating habits for a year. And, uh, and then they took them to a very specific track in Italy. It was the perfect conditions, perfect weather, perfect altitude, perfect humidity. And they had these guys run. And what was interesting is all really good marathon runners, me included, we pace ourselves off of very, very fast people. And so a really good marathon runner, people who win 
uh, marathons. They, they will pace themselves off of other pace runners. And then, and then when that pace runner stop, like slows down, then they make their move. And so what Nike did is they took all their other really fast marathon runners and they used them as intermittent pace runners. And so the pace runner would only run for like a one and a half or two miles. And these guys, like for one and a half or two miles, these guys are booking, y'all. These guys are like sprinting for two miles. And so they take these three or four pace runners and they put them with the guys and the pace was like ridiculous. And the thought behind this was if the pace runners never slow down, the pace of the marathon doesn't slow down. And so they would switch these guys out. And what's interesting is one guy kind of lagged back and one guy really kind of surfaced to the top. And, and at the end of the run, he missed the two-hour marathon by less than a minute. And he was so frustrated. He worked his whole year. He was, he was so angry with himself. And yet it was the fastest marathon that had ever been run. And they couldn't count it because, you know, under controlled you know, situation. But what they did is they, they took this guy and they expanded his thought process of what was humanly possible. Because before that, there was a universal belief that it was physically and humanly impossible to run a marathon in less than two hours. That your body could not handle it. They, they universally believed that the human heart would burst if you ran a marathon in under two minutes. And so this guy missed it by just under a minute. And so then the next marathon that he ran he broke the world record in the marathon. Just the very next record, but he still didn't break the two-hour marathon. But the next one to the next one, he came out and he did what was humanly impossible. And he ran the marathon in less than two hours. And you know what's interesting? The two-hour marathon is just the new four-minute mile. It was just believed forever that it was humanly impossible to run a four-minute mile. And now that that was broken, so many people run a... Like, normal people are running four-minute miles. You'll go to the Bellin, and there'll be people who are running a four-minute mile because somebody broke the ceiling on what was impossible. And so now you watch. There'll be people, probably not a lot in the beginning, but as time goes by, there'll be lots of people who will start to break the two-hour marathon. Then we watched a, another documentary, and it was called Pandemic. And it was about, you know, viruses and all of these things and how to avoid getting sick and, and how to not get certain viruses and what happens when you get certain viruses and where these certain viruses and where these cert certain sicknesses come from. And one of the things that was so interesting is that of all the technology and of all the advances that we've had in medicine, no one has ever come up with a universal vaccine for the flu. And so one man who doesn't even have his doctorate, he's not a doctorate, he's not a physicist, he's not a scientist, he has his bachelor's degree, but somehow became the chief scientist at Pfizer. And during his time at Pfizer, he determined that he wanted to come up with a cure for the flu, universally. No matter what kind of flu you get, you, you go to the, you know, the clinic, they give you a shot you're done. Next day would be awesome. And so nobody would back him. It was just like, it was impossible. Everyone's, Pfizer and all of these different companies said that it was impossible, that it would be wasting your time and wasting your money. So this guy went out and he got another very advanced scientist. And these two people are basically doing this alone and they're funding it on their own. And they're so incredibly close to finding a universal cure for the flu, but he is so passionate about it that he is literally betting his life 
on this idea that he can find something that everyone else said was impossible. That's what passion does. It propels athletes to break records and drives scientists to find cures for diseases because greatness and passion are connected. They're linked together. In fact, passion is just another way of saying enthusiasm for life. You know, the word enthusiasm comes from two Greek words. It comes from a little word, N-E-N, and another word, theos. Theos is the Greek word for God, and that little word, N, simply means in. Enthusiasm literally means God within. And so if you're a Jesus person, you should be filled with enthusiasm. Your marriages should be filled with enthusiasm. Your friendships should be filled with enthusiasm. Your pursuit of your career should be filled with enthusiasm because you have God within you. And God is obviously the most passionate, enthusiastic one who has ever existed, and he wants to fill you with his passion. But inevitably, there's people in every crowd who will come up and will say, well, Sean, I'm just not passionate about anything. In fact, I don't even know what gets me jacked up, juiced up, jazzed up. I don't really know what even gets me excited. Is that, you know, I'm like right now in my life and in this season, I'm just not passionate about anything or I've, I've totally lost my passion, which in that case, you need to ask yourself three questions. Three questions to find your passion. You might want to write these down. Here's the first question is, am I spending time with God? If you're lacking passion, I can almost guarantee you, you're not spending quality time with God, because God is a passionate God. The more time I spend with him, the more passionate I become about him. In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, it says, so, so love the Lord your God with all your passion, and your prayer, and your intelligence, and your energy. So since we become more passionate about God, the more time we spend with God, I'm gonna challenge you to take the next 30 days and spend time with God every single day. Doesn't matter how much, doesn't matter how little, just sometime at some point during your day. Then I'm gonna ask you to keep track. And I know I ask this stuff all the time. And some of you are like, he's always on this thing with the journaling. He's always with the getting a book and writing them down. But here's what I want you to do. For the next 30 days, I want you to talk to God and I want you to, I want you to write down your thoughts that you have during that time. Some people may call them prayers. You can call them whatever you want, but if you're talking to God, you can call him what you want. He'll call it prayer. And so I want you to buy a little book and I want you to write things to him. Several studies have shown that people who journal are far more spiritually fulfilled than people who don't. And so I want you to write down the good. I want you to write down the bad. I want you to write down the ugly. It's okay to write expletives inside your prayer journal. Just let me give you a little bit of freedom. For all of you very religious people, I know that you're, you know, just snapped. And so <gasps> you can write things like, God, you, and just you fill in whatever word is most comfortable for you. Because sometimes you're not celebrating things. Sometimes, like Pastor Scott, you had one whale of a week. You had a week where it just wore you down. And here's the problem. When you have repetitive weeks that just wear you down, at some point, the spring, the coil is going to come loose. And so you're going to come, and your first reaction when you start to pray because of what you've been taught about prayer is you're going to be fake. 
And God's like, bro, come on, man, for real? Like, you don't even talk like that. You know that when you, if you're with your homies, you guys don't have conversations like that. If you're formal, be formal. If you're not formal, don't be formal. If you're somebody who just, when you get angry, you just throw stuff out there, listen, throw some spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. God will not strike you dead, I promise you. Take it from experience. And here's what happens. When it passes from your lips to your fingertips, it becomes real in your life. So for the next 30 days, we're going to spend time with God. We're going to journal about the prayers we have, about the hurts we have, and what it is he shows us and says to us during that time. And it's going to be life-changing. Here's the second question I'm going to ask to find my passion. And it is what we called the whole series is what would I do if I knew I only had one month to live? Ask yourself that question every day for the next 30 days. Matter of fact, ask yourself that question multiple times. Matter of fact, if you went to the doctor tomorrow and they told you that something is critical and you had 30 days to live, I promise you something would shift in your life. And I want you to ask this question not just about big decisions. For the next 30 days, I want you to ask this question about daily decisions. Should I spend more time or less time with my kids? Should I rush through life or should I slow down? Should we sit at the, t the dinner table more often or should we sit at the dinner table less often? Should I watch more TV or less TV? Do you really think that somebody who had 30 days left to live would go, you know what, I'm four seasons behind on 24. I got some catching up to do. One more episode. Like, should I spend more time or less time online? Should I answer my cell phone more or less? Should I text while, while someone's trying to talk to me more often? Or should I pick up my phone while someone's trying to relate to me less often? Should we play more games? Could we go on more walks? Could we have more talks? All I'm asking you is, are you doing the things that matter most? So for the next 30 days, I want you to ask yourself every day, what would I do if I knew I only had one month to live? Here's the third question I'm gonna ask to find my passion, is does my passion make a difference in someone else's life? If my passion is from God, it will make a difference in someone else's life. If my passion only meets my own needs, it's not really a passion from God. In fact, it's probably not really a passion at all. It's probably a lust. Because lust asks, what can I get? But love or passion asks, what can I give? You know, if you'll just sit back and think about any time that you've really been somebody who gives something away, somebody who lives a generous life, you'll realize that any time you give, you feel fulfilled. Thomas Edison said, I never perfected an invention that I didn't think about in terms of the service that it might give to others. It was the thing that drove him, actually. So first, we have to find our passion. The second thing we have to do is follow our passion. So God put that passion in your heart, and he wants you to follow it. He wants you to pursue your passion with all your heart. God created every one of us with a unique set of gifts and talents, abilities and passions, desires and dreams, and he wants us to run after those things. In fact, not only does he want us to run after those things, he loves when we do, just like we love to see when our kids do stuff they love, he loves to see us following after our passion. Some of you have buried your passions. But over the next 30 days, we're going to rediscover them, and we're going to start following them. And there's simple things that maybe you didn't think 
were a passion in your life. Some of you used to love to draw. I challenge you, go get your sketchbook and some pencils and start to draw some stuff. You might not be that good, but guess what? You might be better than you thought. Some of you used to love to paint. I dare you to go to Hobby Lobby and get your canvas and some paints and get your Bob Ross on and paint some happy little trees. Some of you used to love to cook and it used to be your passion. Pastor Sonny and I were just with some friends this week and the guy, he's a pastor of a church, but he loves to cook and so he's like constantly experimenting and this guy y'all he was like on a fast and he was cooking food for us all week and we like kind of felt so guilty he'd spend two hours cooking a meal and it would come out like it was you know Gordon Ramsay had been in there without the cussing and he'd come out with a fruit smoothie and we'd be like bro thank you for the eggs benedict while you're drinking mango mush this is incredible but it's his passion and some of you used to love to cook, and I dare you, some of you used to love to dance. I Listen, some of you ladies, go get in a dance class. Some of you used to love to sing. Start singing. Some of you used to love to act. I dare you, go find you an improv class and ask yourself, like, what's it gonna hurt you for the next 30 days to start following your passions? I dare you to start taking some risks. Start taking some risks in your relationships. Like, start telling people you love them again. Stop being jaded. Stop being hurt. I get it. That person hurt you when you were five years old. In the words of my grandma, build a bridge and get over it. And I'm not minimizing the hurt that you have in your life, but some of you are holding things against everyone else that somebody else did, and the only person who's being held prisoner is you. And so I dare you to start telling people how much you love them and how much you appreciate them. I dare you to start taking some risks in your health and start eating stuff that you think is healthy. You try, listen, Brussels sprouts are not poisonous in Jesus' name. Some of you need to know that. And some of you, like some of you, you used to love to exercise and you're not gonna die if you walk half a mile and just start it just little bit by little bit. I dare some of you to take some risks in your finances and start tithing. I dare, I triple dog dare you stick your tongue on a pole in the cold to start tithing for the next 30 days and see what God will do. I dare you to start giving stuff to other people. I dare you for the next 30 days. Like if you was finna die, let's just talk about it. If you was about to die, would you be walking through your house going, well, we better keep them margarine dishes so that my kids can go through them and keep marbles in it? Like, you know what I'm talking about, the stuff you find at people's garage sales that their kids are like, oh my God, I don't know why they kept the whole set of the Encyclopedia Britannica, but now I'm trying to sell it for 45 cents. Like, go through and find some stuff that you haven't been using, and I dare you to just be generous for the next 30 days. Most people never go over their passions because they are frozen with fear. Fear of what everyone's going to think about them. Fear of what everybody's going to say about them. Frozen by the fear of failure. Listen, you do not have to fear failure. You have to embrace failure. Because newsflash, 100% certainty in this statement, you are going to fail. <laughs> You're welcome. We all fail. But luckily, in the words of my pastor, Fulton Buntain, failure is never final. Just look at the life of Abraham Lincoln. In 1832, he lost his job the same year he was defeated for legislature. In 1833, he failed in business. In 1834, he was elected to legislature only to have a nervous breakdown two years later. 
1838, he was defeated for speaker. In 1843, he was defeated for nomination for Congress. In 1846, he was elected to Congress, but in 1848, he lost the re-election. In 1849, he was rejected for the position of land officer. In 1854, he was defeated for Senate. In 1856, he was defeated for the nomination for the vice presidency. Again, in 1858, he was defeated for Senate. But in 1860, he was elected president of the United States of America. In 1862, he signed the Homestead Act that allowed impoverished people to obtain land for the first time in American history. In 1863, he issued the Emancipation Proclamation, which led to the abolition of slavery in America. In 1865, he led the Union to victory in the Civil War of America. Today, he is permanently, prominently memorialized in our nation's capital because understanding that failure is never final. He was willing to step out over and over and over and over again. He was passionately persistent. When you step out, fail, but keep going, that's when you succeed and find your passion. In fact, the word passion comes from the Latin word patheo, which means to suffer or to endure pain. Ephesians 3 says, Now glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of, infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, and hopes. It's saying, if I take my pain, give it over to God and surrender it to him, he can do far more in my life than I could ever dream of or even imagine. God has a plan for your life. And that plan is greater than you could ever dream of. The problem is problems. So over the next 30 days, I want you to understand there are going to be miracles in your life. I want you to count on miracles. I want you to expect miracles. You are going to see miracles in your family and in your relationships, miracles in your schedule and in your life and in your work. For the next 30 days, expect miracles. And expect some failure. Expect some pain. So let me tell you, there are two options to go ahead. So you're like, what a bait and switch. There are two options to failure. You're like, you got all loud. And when you got loud, we thought like that, that was like, yes, like that was the spot. And, and then you, you twerked it on us. And so here's what I want to tell you. There are two options to failure and pain. You can become derailed or you can become determined. When you let failure and pain derail you, you're saying that you're willing to settle for less. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author, put it this way. Too often we're like children who settle for playing in mud puddles when the beauty and the immensity of the ocean is just a few feet away. Y'all, it's time to stop playing in mud puddles. The ocean is just a few feet away. So we're gonna find our passion we're going to follow our passion. And third, we're going to fuel our passion. Romans chapter 12 says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Your fervor is your passion. And so when it says keep your fervor or keep your passion, what it's implying is that it is possible for us to lose our passion. So to avoid losing our passion, we need to fuel our passion. And ultimately, there are two fuels for our passion. Number one is integrity. And I know that I talk about this word a lot and that it is this word that comes from the root word integer, which means whole number. A person of integrity is a whole person. So when I have integrity, I'm integrating what I say with what I do. Nothing drains your passion quicker than a lack of integrity. 
What I wonder today is do you have an integrity gap in your life? A gap between what you say and what you do. You say your health is important, but do you exercise and eat right? You say your family is important, but do you put work first or them first? You say God is a priority, but do you spend any time with him? All I'm talking about, y'all, is an integrity gap, a gap between what we say and what we do, a gap that in the next 30 days, we're going to do everything we can to close. We're going to try to match up what we say with what we do because integrity, it is a fuel. Here is the second fuel for our passion is intentionality. Listen, we don't just need to live our lives with passion or purpose. We need to live our lives on purpose. Someday, all of our lives are going to be reduced to two dates and a dash. We don't have much to say about the dates. We don't have any control over where we were born, what race we would be, or who our parents would be. We didn't have any control over the culture or the century or the country that we'd be born into. We didn't have any control over the dates. But there is one thing that God gives us a whole lot of control over, and that is how we spend the dash. And when we come to the end of our lives, I don't want you and I don't want me, I don't want any of us to have any regrets. I want us to spend the dash loving more. I want us to spend the dash learning more. I want us to spend that little short dash letting more go. Don't you think we could spend that dash living more? Like I want us to live our lives to the full. The question is, are you doing that? Let me ask you one more question. If you're not doing that, can we do that together? Can, can, we, just, can we just take all the the masks and set them aside. Can we just take all the, like the churchy stuff and put it to the side for just a minute? And can we just all admit that none of us are living our life to the full? There's an integrity gap somewhere for all of us. It's our job to find it. And once we find it, it's our job to fill it. And once we fill it, he can fill us with the things that he wants to fill us with. And so like, can we just together Together for the next 30 days, can we love more? Like, like if you just want to le- like learn ways to love more, just follow Pastor Scott's Instagram. He's always coming up with ways. And like, I'm not being trite. Like, people who love people, they're always trying to come up with ways to love people. So for 30 days, can we just love more? For 30 days, can we learn more for 30 days can we just let more go people are gonna offend you that's fine let it go for 30 days can we just let life be the very best that it can be because if we will we will live passionately will you close your eyes all across this place living passionately it is the secret to a fulfilling life i want to live my life passionate about my marriage. I want to live my life passionate about my friends. I want to live my life passionate about my finances. I want to live my life passionate about Jesus to where he's not just a five-minute morsel that I plug in in the mid, like the beginning of my day. I want to live my life passionate about who he is and what he says and what he does and who he loves. That's what salvation is. 
Salvation is laying down your thoughts and picking up his. Laying down your agenda and picking up his. And so maybe you're here today and you've been living your passion. You've been li like living your agenda. Today, you say, I need to stop because I want to live a fulfilled life. So this morning, we're going to give opportunity for people to do that. We're going to give opportunity for people to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's kind of like the churchy word or term or saying for getting saved. It's really just surrendering who you are and picking up who he is. And, and so this morning, we're going to give you opportunity to do two things. We're going to give you opportunity to confess that you're a sinner, which we all are, and then to profess that Jesus can save you. Here's how we're going to do that. In just a minute, I'm going to ask for people with nobody looking around to do two things. First is going to be to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. Once you've made eye contact with me in a minute, you can put your hand down. That's our way of confessing that we're sinners. Then second, I'm going to say a prayer, and everybody in here is going to repeat it. And when you repeat it and you mean it in your heart, that is your profession that Jesus can rescue you, can save you. So if you're here today, you say, Sean, I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. But I'd like to, before I leave this place, with nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me? Thanks, 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 thanks. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks, thank you. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Okay, I'm gonna ask everybody in here, say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I'm sorry. Please forgive me, come into my life change me, make me different, make me new, be my Lord, be my Savior, in Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, would you do us a favor? We want the opportunity to walk this journey with you, the journey away from who you are toward who God wants you to be. We call it your Jesus journey, so we would love the opportunity to walk your Jesus journey with you. So if you could take that hello card that's either in the seat back in front of you or underneath your chair in the front or very back row. We would love, love it if you would tear off the bottom part, fill it in, check the box that's highlighted in yellow. Just put it in the black buckets when they come around here in just a moment or take it out to the Welcome Center. Either way, we just want the chance to pray for you and follow up. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes one more time. Don't leave yet. We're not done. Pastor Sonny's gonna close us out here in just a second. But I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, uh, I'm saved. Like I'm a Jesus guy or I'm a Jesus girl. You're going to heaven. But you would say, Sean, I've not been living my passion because I've, I've lost it. You say, Sean, I, I want the opportunity, at least for the next 30 days, to find my passion again. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so that I could pray for you today? Yeah, man, so many people. God, for my friends in here who love you and they're excited about you, God, but they're just, they're just needing a reminder. Would you just prompt them? Would you just help us to find our passion so that we can fulfill that passion? In Jesus' name, amen.